Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Daniel Rabb from the Daniel W. Rabb PA Law Firm in Miami, Florida. Dan has been practicing law in Florida for over 20 years. He has served as adjunct professor for St. Thomas University School of Law, University of Miami School of Law, and Florida International College of Law. He is also the author of Transportation Terms and Conditions and a contributing author for Goods in Transit. Dan, we're very pleased to have you with us again today. Well, it's great to be here. Today's topic is a transportation case involving the damage done to a crane while in transit from sea from Baltimore to Tripoli. And Brendan Noonan leads off today with our first question. Uh, Dan, can you comment briefly on this case and its significance? Yes. Uh, Edso Exporting LP versus Atlantic Container Line AB is a significant case, as are many others, dealing with the $500 per package limitation. I mean, in this case, there, as you pointed out, there was a crane that was taken from Baltimore to Tripoli, and I might add probably a rather expensive crane, And what shippers have to be aware of, and those who insure the shippers are, that there is this $500 per package limitation under the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, and ocean carriers will very often assert this against the shippers and the insurance companies. And that's what happened here in this case, that you had an expensive crane, and under the way that the freight was computed as one unit, that all that could be recovered was $500. Dan, how often is that $500 limitation on liability litigated? Well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, There's a section in Benedict's on Admiralty that discusses whether or not a crane, an automobile, a truck, etc., whether or not they're actually packages. So, It seems like there are many, many cases that come up in this area of law, and this is one of the most recent, and it's something that defense lawyers are always bringing up. It seems to be most successful when you're dealing with a unit, and one of the things to take a look at is whether or not the shipper had an opportunity to declare a higher value. If they didn't, then that would be a violation of the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, and they might be able to get around it. I know that I had a case several years ago where it was two buses that were going to Puerto Rico, expediters versus Crowley American Transport. And in that case, I was able to limit the damages as a defense lawyer to $1,000. So it is brought up a lot, and it is something that defense lawyers will hold over the head of the insurance company. One reason why shippers tend not to declare a higher value is that it's really, really expensive, and usually they find that it's a lot cheaper to just go out and purchase cargo insurance rather than pay the carrier's rate to declare a higher value. Dan, in general, which transportation areas see the most litigation? Is it land, sea, or air, and can anything be done to tighten this up? Well, I mean, generally, or with limitations, I mean, you actually see these in other forms of transportation as well. And I would say probably there's less of this 
with air shipments because they've made it extremely difficult to try to get around what's called the Montreal Protocol, where there's also a severe limitation of liability. With trucks, there's a pretty clear statute, but that's not totally being tightened up because sometimes you can have two bills of lading, one issued by the shipper and another one by the motor carrier. I've also seen this a lot on household goods, but as far as the package limitation with the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, it's kind of amazing, and this is typical of the American and the British system, unlike the Civil Code, that despite the fact that you have a statute that sounds as though it's clear, there is a lot of litigation that seems to follow from that statute. And what steps can an insurer take to be proactive? Okay, well, if the insurer could be on either side, if the insurer, which is sometimes a P&I club and sometimes a regular insurer representing the ocean carrier, or if, let's say, this happened to be a, a trucking case, they should take a look at the bill of lading to make sure that these limitations of liability are in there. What I'm finding with certain trucking companies is they claim that they're not allowed to do their own separate bill of lading, but if the insurer mandates that to either an ocean or a trucking or an air carrier, they'd be more likely to include it. On the other side, because unlike certain other areas of law in the area of cargo transit, a pretty decent amount of the claims are actually brought by insurance companies as subrogation claims. About the only thing that they can do is if they want to try to put something in the policy about declaring more, they might have an opportunity to do that. But in my many years of handling these type of claims, I haven't really come across that being an issue with insurance companies and with their insured. But that might be one thing that they could do. But then if the insured were to pay these high rates with the ocean carriers, then they're more than likely not going to want to buy insurance on top of it. Uh, Dan, are there more transportation cases litigated in Florida as opposed to other states? Probably more than likely. There are a lot down here, but there are some, a goodly number that are litigated up in the New York area because I've seen on ocean bills of lading clauses that say that cases have to be brought in the southern district of New York. So I would say, really, two of the hubs for these type of cases happen to be Florida and New York. Down here in Florida, on uh, inland transit cases, there have been a lot with missing stolen cargo. There's been some of that going down here, but I'm sure that there's a lot of that going on in other parts of the country. Dan, any final comments on this particular case? Yes. Again, it's something that really... Uh, you know, is something that needs to be asserted as an affirmative defense. And it seems like until Congress changes it or under some new international treaty that they increase it a little bit, the limitation of liability will be with us. The only other thing that a shipper might be able to do, some of the ocean carriers do have their own insurance that they might be able to purchase, which might be at a lower rate than declaring a higher value. Those can be two separate items. But it seems from now into the foreseeable future that the $500 per package limitation is something 
that's going to be litigated. And I would caution lawyers who are on the defense side to make sure that they raise this as an affirmative defense to make sure that they don't lose it. The one last comment, although this is an international statute, it can be incorporated in shipments that go within the United States, such as Florida or New York to Puerto Rico, by way of the bill of lading. And there are a lot of cases that will uphold this. So I think it's something that needs to be considered when litigating these type of cases. And it seems like an issue that's not going to go away anytime soon. Okay, thanks for joining us today, Dan. My pleasure. That was Daniel Rabb from the law firm Daniel W. Rabb, PA, in Miami, Florida. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for your future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed. Those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 